0: Last week, we started a series of talks based in the Gospel of Matthew, chapters 8 through 9, called Saving Power. Saving Power. Uh, In these two chapters, we find story after story that shows us the power of God in the life of Jesus of Nazareth both for the people who encountered him along his travels through first century palestine and for the disciples who followed jesus as well and the motivation for us behind this series is twofold number one we want to continue looking at the gospel of matthew we've been on this journey for a lot of months now and there's still a lot more ahead praise god (laughs) and uh, so we're going to be discovering more and more Uh, through this series and others what we can learn from jesus christ and his life and and all that the gospels record for us and the kingdom of heaven that he revealed through his ministry the second motivation behind the series is to read stories of real people who experienced firsthand the real power of god And how that ultimately helps us recognize that God can and wants to restore us today. So in our first installment last week, you can uh, go to the second slide up there, perhaps. I'll just keep talking, we'll get there. So there's the series slide, next one. Here we go so last week we explored the encounter between jesus and the man with leprosy we learned that through jesus ministry uh, he brought his restoring power into the everyday places of life and meets us in our need this man's encounter also showed us that jesus is the god who touches the untouchable and makes the unclean clean And that ultimately this man's restoration shows us that restored lives witness to god's power to save everyone who believes the man placed his trust in jesus jesus met him with love and a help that heals and the restored man's witness it sounds down through the ages that our god is a god who saves and brings us back into relationship with god and his people And this morning, uh, we're continuing in this series, Saving Power. And you can go to the next slide. Um, And the title for today's message is Catalyst. And the passage we're going to be exploring together today is Matthew chapter 8, verses 5 through 13. And the big idea that we're going to be looking at together is that belief in Jesus is the catalyst to restore life. Belief in Jesus is the catalyst to restore life. When I first wrote out that big idea, well, back, well, well yeah, okay, here we go. When I first wrote that out, <laughs> wonderful statement, right? I, I did so not even thinking about all the noise that's been generated around that word catalyst. Um, as a leader and as a person of faith, it's almost like that word catalyst has been co-opted in recent years. Uh, It's been used for branding different businesses. It's been used to talk about all kinds of things, including issues of faith. And so in a lot of ways, I'm going to continue in that practice and add some more noise to it uh, today by adopting it as a reference to what we're going to read. So when I went to go look up the meaning of this word, I was blown away by its technical meaning. Now you can go to that slide. Here we go. There it is. All right. So Webster's Dictionary describes it this way, the very first definition. A catalyst is a substance that enables a chemical reaction to proceed at a usually faster rate or under different conditions than otherwise possible. Um, So it's a a chemistry term. I had no idea it was a chemistry term with all the ways we use it. to describe other things it describes a chemical reaction that's known as a catalyst or catalysis I'm sorry and we get that idea of catalysis from the greek word catalysis that combines two greek words together kata and luo kata means down or against or to destroy something and luo means to loosen so this chemical or object or substance thing with its chemical makeup, it encounters against another chemical and a reaction takes place. And usually uh, there's some kind of, you know, uh, temperature change in some way. Um, you know, sometimes it, it can cause a chemical reaction that heats things up. And so the molecules, they, they you know, usually they're static and then they They start moving around and getting all excited and then heat happens. And so even though that's its first primary meaning, a chemistry term, in the English language, we also use it to talk about people or places that provoke or speed significant change or action. You can go to the next slide there. So uh, the second definition in Webster, uh, when I looked it up online, is that it's an agent that provokes Or speed significant change or action, so that could be how we use it in the colloquial term today. So it's you know, for example, in on the slide there, you know, those people bringing their aid to. I think that was in the midst of the pandemic because they all have masks on, and you know they uh, you know they're handing out food, and so they were uh, literally being like agents of some kind of significant change in people's lives who otherwise didn't have food or other resources and we saw a lot of that uh, throughout the pandemic did we not now how this all relates to our passage today uh, and even to the series that we're going through is that we all experience some amount of death or decay there's an old adage that says as soon as you're born you start dying (laughs) and wherever you're at today we all need restored life whether that's physical emotional or spiritual restoration is the change we need and i would submit to you today that the catalyzing agent that is belief in jesus is what will not only make it possible but actually affect change in your life and the lives of those around you now you may agree or disagree with that idea and that's okay maybe you're undecided that's okay too wherever you're at on that spectrum let's find out what the bible has to say about this idea so if you have your bibles please turn with me to matthew chapter 8 matthew chapter 8 beginning in verse 5 we're going to take a slow walk through scripture this morning all right when he, meaning Jesus, had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. The first thing I observe from, from these couple of f- verses here is that trouble transcends borders trouble transcends borders you can go to the next slide right away in verse 5 we're reminded of a conflict for us it's way more subtle and easily missed because it's not a conflict that we're directly involved in but the conflict is still there whether we see it or not the conflict is this so all throughout matthew we've been learning about jesus that jesus was ethnically jewish he was he was a traveling jewish teacher with jewish students and he was going around proclaiming a jewish hope that through the jewish savior called the messiah that the jewish god was going to come and set all things to right and right after jesus time in the wilderness right before calling his disciples jesus moved to a city called capernaum which was in the region of galilee uh, though I, if you look at a map it's not right by the sea um, like the sermon on the mount was uh, it it wasn't a place that was occupied by the romans but the general culture was heavily influenced by uh, the greco-roman thought of the day there was a military presence there even though the nearest legion post was in syria to the north uh, and the jewish people were an occupied people that were subject to roman rule and so the conflict is that here's this centurion an officer in the roman army leader of a hundred soldiers that's what centurion means sent you know a hundred cents 100 soldiers there you go uh, came to jesus the centurion comes to jesus a jewish teacher who happens to have a reputation as someone who can make things happen. Uh, Socially, politically, economically, and spiritually, Jesus and the centurion could not have been more different. And yet, this Roman officer was going through something so troubling that it moved him across the divide to come to Jesus for help. As a centurion, his life was transient. Wherever his orders led him, he would go. Uh, This soldier wasn't free to start a family with wife and kids, but he was allowed to have servants who would go with him everywhere he went to attend to his needs. And so for the centurion, these servants that he had were the closest thing on earth that he had to a family to go home to and his servant was sick and suffering from paralysis and the centurion couldn't make the servant well and the text today it doesn't say all that he had gone through to get the servant help in the past we don't also know you know how long the servant had even been paralyzed if it was something that had just suddenly come on that day if it was something that maybe had been going on for a few weeks or a few months or you know potentially a few years. Um, But what we do know is that this man was willing to cross the borders of convention to bring his troubles to Jesus. And when it comes down to it, I believe we can all relate to the centurion. Because the same truth that trouble transcends borders that led the centurion to Jesus in the first place, that same truth also crosses the border of two thousand years since that encounter first took place. You have troubles. I have troubles. <laughs> Everyone has troubles. It could be, you know, you you could have personal troubles. Maybe someone uh, near uh, to us, like family or friends, are having an issue. Maybe it's something that's going on at work or maybe it's something that's going on in the community or the country or something that's impacting us uh, globally from a global scale trickling on down. We all experience trouble day in and day out. Things beyond our control and even things beyond our power to do a lick of anything about it, right? Now, do we go about trying to problem solve or troubleshoot Are we racked with anxiety or fears or paralyzed by the weight of it all? Those are natural responses and it's okay for you to not be okay. And it's also okay for you to get help. For me, what what challenges me most in this passage is that, you know, when I face troubles of all shapes and sizes, right, Uh, troubling times, do I get to the place like the centurion where my first thought then is to come to Jesus with my stuff or do I get so wrapped up in trying to fix my own, it on my own that I fail to let my troubles transcend my borders to, and I forget to take it to the Lord and that's a challenging thought so let's see what happens next picking up in verse 7 and he said to him this is jesus speaking back to the centurion i will come and heal him but the centurion replied lord i am not worthy to have you come under my roof but only say the word and my servant will be healed for i too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Well, stop there. Here we go. All right, this shows me that uh, Jesus' word carries a powerful promise. Jesus' word carries a powerful promise. You can go to the next slide. Uh, Jesus' first response was a promise to come and heal the servant. But that was met with immediate resistance and actually shows us a bit about where the centurion was coming from in his relation to Jesus. So first, the centurion believed in the incredible worthiness of Jesus. Jesus was so worthy that this high-ranking Roman officer felt unworthy to welcome Jesus into his home. You know, this centurion, he had every legal right and privilege to assume a superior position and think that this Jewish subject would be fortunate to be invited into his home. And yet he actually assumed that lower position, placing Jesus above him in all things. Isn't that amazing? The second thing we see is that the centurion believes that Jesus' spoken word is enough to bring healing to his servant. Even though Jesus was ready to cross that cultural, conventional divide, to physically go to that servant, the centurion saw that Jesus' word was weighty and, and powerful and also restoring. The third thing it shows us is that The centurion believed in Jesus' authority to make things happen. Uh, So much so that he relates Jesus' level of spiritual authority with his own experience of uh, military authority, if you will. Because at his commander's authority, he is commanded to go and he has to go. That's why he doesn't have a family in the first place, right? Um, And, you know, if... His commander tells him to do this task, he has to do it. By extension, those under his influence, like those hundred other soldiers or his servants, when he just gives the word to go and do according to what he said, they have to go do it. And so with the utmost respect, the centurion places Jesus in high esteem and authority. And in that place, believing that Jesus' word carries with it a powerful guarantee. If Jesus says it, it's going to happen. Jesus was a man of his word. And this makes me think of the saying scouts honor. Uh, For a number of reasons growing up, I was never a scout. Sorry. Uh, I, I had friends who were, and I would try to hold up my fingers like this, like this guy on the screen and say scouts honor trying to invoke some kind of trustworthiness or honor or hey i'm going to follow through with this but my friends would quickly remind me tim you're not a scout you can't say that because you're not a scout scout's honor you can't say that so growing up this felt like the ultimate trump card that my friends all had against me (laughs) and you know maybe for good reason scouting develops personal character and the skills to lead and just Saying the word scout or seeing a picture like that up on the screen Brings to mind a certain level of integrity and authority, does it not? Now for a scout when they give that salute Scouts honor they're promising through their word that they are committed to three specific duties or commitments to duty one is their duty to God and country The other is helping others and obeying the scout law. Now, since I was never a scout, I had to look that up. And I hope Wikipedia told me right. So um, those of you who are in scouts, you'll correct me after service anyway. Here we go. But so those are those three things. Now, even though Jesus was never a scout, spoiler alert, just in case you thought maybe he was, he wasn't, we can see how his word carries a powerful promise. In, just so happens three ways based on what the centurion responded and how he talked to Jesus so first he said Lord he called Jesus Lord Jesus is Lord he is a person of authority he is somebody to be respected he is worthy of that honor second is that Jesus has the power and ability to help. And third, according to the Hebrew Scriptures, Jesus' purpose as the Messiah was to rescue and restore. So, with all that honor and all that authority, Jesus' word carries a powerful promise. And so, from the centurion statement in verses 7 through 9, we're invited to see Jesus' as a man of his word. Jesus says we can believe it. And this means that we can trust him with our troubles. And we can trust him to help. So let's go ahead and keep going in verse 10. So when Jesus heard this, he marveled. Can you imagine that? Jesus marveling at what this man said. Jesus marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in israel have i found such faith i tell you many will come from east and west and recline at table with abraham isaac and jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in the place or in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth what this shows me is that next slide there is room at the table for all through faith there's room at the table for all through faith in the middle of this encounter with the centurion jesus takes the opportunity to speak some truth to his disciples this was a teachable moment (laughs) and jesus took full advantage of it what did you learn here you go so let's unpack what jesus said to his disciples for starters he placed the faith of the centurion above any of his own people above the pharisees above the religious elite above the priests who even ministered in the temple above any and every other person he'd ever met the centurion's faith was unmatched and next jesus goes on to teach an amazing truth about the kingdom of heaven in jesus kingdom there are going to be many people there And they will gather, and in the kingdom of heaven, they will break bread and commune around a table with the likes of the founding fathers of the Jewish faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But, then Jesus draws a very clear distinction. While all this is going on, the parties going, the food's just getting consumed, people are laughing, all, you know, they're just... Hanging out with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. was sight. You know, clear distinction. While all that's going on, the sons of the kingdom, or how he describes them, sons of the kingdom, will be thrown out into the outer darkness away from the kingdom. This means that there is something about the people at the table that qualifies their place at the table. Now, in that teachable moment, jesus places the quality of faith over and above the quality of natural descent which brings us to see that the table in the kingdom of heaven is much larger yet also more limited than his disciples had ever imagined so what jesus is ultimately saying is that in the kingdom we will all be related through faith, in that all who put their faith and trust in the king are welcome at the table, along with the likes of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People who have done us wrong, people we clash with, people who get on our nerves and annoy us, even you and me this morning, we're all invited to the table there's room at the table for all through faith and this would have been a hard truth for the disciples to swallow because some of them were jewish nationalists who wanted to kick rome to the curb and kick him out of the country of the promised land because that also means that if there's room at the table for all through faith and that means that this centurion who jesus has just elevated his faith above all of israel that centurion could be at the table too not because of any merit on his own only because he has placed some measure of faith and trust in jesus to save i think one of the most beautiful pictures of the christian faith is coming around a table together to share some food that's why i love potlucks that's why i was really happy to reinstate it soon after becoming pastor here i i love in acts two forty two it says that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers there should always be food especially good food right spiritual and physical food and so as a picture of that future kingdom of heaven none of us have earned a place at the table but we are all invited by grace through faith that's it which makes the family and the table really big in the kingdom but also exclusive to people who have put their faith and trust in jesus now let's see what jesus has to say next picking up in verse 3 uh not verse 3 verse 13 here we go and to the centurion jesus said go let it be done for you as you have believed and the servant was healed at that very moment belief in jesus is the catalyst to restore life trouble transcended boundaries and the centurion believed that jesus word carried a powerful promise and in accordance with the roman centurion's faith the servant was healed unlike the miracle that we looked at last week jesus didn't lay hands on the servant there was no physical touch involved whatsoever all he did was he gave the word and it happened just like the centurion believed So let me ask you, do we come to Jesus with a faith like that? Believing that he is willing and able to restore. Believing that his authority is unmatched in the physical or the spiritual. Believing that God's saving power in Jesus can make the difference. Believing Jesus is enough. In this passage today, we see that the centurion's faith in Jesus was the substance that led to the result of the servant's restoration. And this means that no matter how big or how small our troubles may be, we can take them to Jesus. He knows our need. He knows, you know, our greatest need. Even the things that may not be our greatest need, but they still trouble our minds and and rack us with all kinds of worry and, and everything. And he still wants to help. Jesus has the power and the authority to rescue and restore simply at his word. Will you believe it or not? And the invitation today is to believe that Jesus can restore life. And so, as the worship team comes up, let's go ahead and pray. Father, I thank you so much for stories like these. I thank you for times when we get to hear, and especially read about, testimonies where your power is released and lives are changed. God, thank you so much that the centurion got the gumption up to go to Jesus I wish I I could catch the replay and I guess we will in heaven when uh you know just to see that moment where Jesus was so marveled at this man's faith God please forgive me when I don't think to come to you first or I get pretty far down the line and I think well I guess I'll just go to God in prayer god please forgive me for those times for all my friends here today god we we all need a special touch from you we need that encouraging word we need that healing word from you and so lord whatever we're going through right now each of my friends here this morning i pray that you would step in and that you would undertake on their behalf and holy spirit that you would Minister to them a healing that only you can do. And even if you don't, we're still going to trust you. And so God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for this reminder today of your saving power to restore us. We believe in you, in Jesus' name. Amen.